Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Bim, 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 bim. I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have such a special guest. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. When I was growing up in the 80s, today's guest... Justine Bateman was one of the most famous young women in America. She starred as Mallory on the hugely popular sitcom Family Ties on NBC from 1982 to 1989. She starred in a movie about an all-girl rock band called Satisfaction in 1989 that totally inspired me to join an all-female rock band myself. And then she went on to write, direct, produce, and study computer science behind the scenes while the internet completely changed our culture's relationship to stardom. In her new book, Fame, The Hijacking of Reality, she writes about the phenomenon of being famous in a fresh and fascinating way. I can't wait to talk to her all about it. Welcome, Justine. Thank you so much for having me. He thinks I'm a second-class citizen. You know, like he was crying or whatever. It's disgusting, it's riveting, and it's somehow cathartic. That's what we've been waiting for? All this time? Like, that's what you've been holding back? Who fucking needs you, man? We both read the book. We both loved it. Like, right off the top, how weird is it to write a book about how fucked up fame is and then have to go on, like, the circuit (laughs) of engaging in fame-gathering activities whilst talking about how fucked up fame is? Well, it's funny that you say that because I didn't think about it before I started promoting it, but once I started promoting it... I told my um, my publishers that this is like a meta performance art epilogue to the book. Yeah. Because yeah. some of the outlets are doing some of the things that's that are in the book. Like <laughs> oh, no. like characterizing what the article is going to be about before I've even done the interview. Right. They come up with the title before the interview. Mm-hmm. But that's what I was finding. That I, I looked, there was this one uh, interview we did, and the, and the interview is printed as we did it, but that but the title is not what the article's about and I went oh no oh god I hope this doesn't I hope this doesn't become a trend you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. Uh, but thankfully it only happened with a couple and and the rest of it's been great but it and there's been other things too but it's funny you ask that it has been interesting to see things played out that are in the book you should get an NEA grant just for the press tour part of this yeah right <laughs> good idea I should have called you earlier I didn't realize what a massive cultural divide that you inhabit until I started telling people that you were coming on this show and um I was ages 7 through 14 during family ties and folks my age and older were like literally like holy fucking shit I can't believe Mallory is coming on your show um and then when I mentioned your name to folks like maybe like just a little bit younger than I yeah. am like I would have to do a little bit more explaining about your cultural significance um, for our younger listeners can you just explain a little bit about the pop cultural context of family ties and what it was like to be a young famous woman in an era that was just before the internet yeah of course um, well one of the biggest elements back then that one of the one of the elements that made the biggest difference rather was you get a really highly concentrated audiences. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fractured like it is now. Imagine there's three networks, you didn't have uh, all the channels that create new programming. Now you just had those three networks. 
And so because you had concentrated networks and you didn't have DVRs, so you couldn't watch it later, so you'd have to watch it live or, you know, when it aired, you could, if you were a top show, at, at our height, we would get 55 million people watching yeah, every week. That blew my mind when I yeah. read that. I was like, that and on like average, you didn't have to ask like when we would go to school like we wouldn't ask each other like did you watch Family Ties we would just go right into in Family Ties blah 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 like with the assumption that literally every single person had seen it yeah and you yeah. I mean that was one of the elements right you didn't want to miss out you you wanted you made sure there was that appointment television this is also such an interesting time I think to revisit the phenomenon of family ties because the show was about these idealistic 60s hippies and they were raising mostly crassly capitalistic kids in the Reagan era like if so many shows are being rebooted now if it were to be rebooted now I think it would be like anti-corporate Gen X activists raising teens in the Trump era um, is there anything well, uh, that you can recall from the show that resonates with you today that's sort of like a weird kind I don't of really think throwback. a lot about the show now um, and frankly I'm like 100% against reboots I, I hate it mm -hmm. I think it's oh, a yeah. real shame for this generation that they're sort of getting you know all cultural vomit from the past <laughs> generation yeah. and it's I'm just like my god and people say well I guess there's no more good ideas like no 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 that's not the fact there are a lot of outstanding writers with fantastic ideas but if you ever have a question about why something's happening, you just look at the money. Yeah. And I think they're vastly underestimating the audience. I think we do want really – we do want new stuff and we want stuff that is for this generation. And when yeah. I say this generation, I'm including myself and you and all of us. I mean everyone who's alive right now uh -huh. for – so generation is the wrong word obviously. But I mean for, for now, for where we are now, mm -hmm. not – We deserve new shit. We deserve yeah. new shit. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what and was so, that? Ugh, yeah. Overboard, the remake of Overboard. Come on. That broke my damn heart. I mean, we've got <laughs> that. that. We've so... got, you know, uh, I think ALF is coming out again. Oh, what? no. I mean, it's we're not even talking about what? the highest rated shows are being rebooted. It's <sighs> just it's just kind of like anything, anything that's got some prior recognition. And I reject that. It's, that is ridiculous. I reject that, too. Like, I, I'm just... So anyway, if anybody did, you know, obviously I don't own the rights to Family Ties, but right. if uh, I believe Paramount still, or Viacom, you know, bought Paramount, um, if they did it, I never, I try to never speak against anybody else's projects or creative efforts publicly, but I would speak shit about that. <laughs> yeah. You rose to fame at a time, at the same time as your brother, Jason Bateman, essentially, um, he was a child star in Silver Spoons and the Hogan family. And I was just wondering, I know that you were older, but you were both pretty young when you got started. And I was wondering if you noticed any differences between the way you were treated as a young woman in the Hollywood system and your brother mm. um, gender-wise. Oh, I have to say right off the bat that uh, I, I know what you're asking, but... I did not have the experience that some of these other women uh, have been talking about lately. Oh, you were that's safe good. With me too. That's awesome. I, I mean, all that's my refreshing to all hear. my quote <laughs> me too stuff was almost exclusively outside of the business. It was you know shit guys are doing on the street or whatever. Oh, we don't so need right. Everybody's got that, a list, right? A child actress. I mean, did you know, not get totally any woman destroyed. you you ask has got a list of shit that's happened to them, right? But no, in fact, in the business, I can only remember two times where something kind of happened 
and and both times I just it's just my nature I just immediately you know the one time I turned to the guy and I was like what the fuck are you doing and then and that was dealt with and it was done mm-hmm. and then the second time you know, and there's something on sets where you're, you know, you, you flirt on sets. And, and, you know, my experience with it all is that it's fun. You know, you're with these people for long periods of time. And at least what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about anyone else's situations. I'm just mm-hmm. talking about my situations. It's it's kind of fun. Or you're on location or whatever. And you get, you know, you get very familiar with everybody. And um, and it's there's a lot of camaraderie and, and, and fun. And 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 if anyone ever said anything that was like, you know, slightly sexual, and then for me, or maybe it's just the because of the the era I grew up in the business, you just batted it back. You just got good at at saying something that would bat it back. And I remember one time though. So we're all standing around in a circle, and the director of this particular project, I forget what he said exactly, but it was something like. You know, we're all joking around. And then he says something like, "Yeah, yeah." And then you, you, then you can get on your knees and suck my dick or something like this. And I went, I went, "Yeah, you wish." You know, so that's my nature. Like that's what I do. But then as I walked, every, with every step that I walked away from that circle, I went, I, I my, my thought, in, you know, increased, which was, no, 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 that went over the line. That was too much. So I just walked back to him and I stood in front of him and I said, you can never, ever say anything like that to me again. And he goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm totally. Uh, and I go, good. We're good. Oh, Done. Yeah. I totally get the, got the sense of that you take no shit when you read in the book and you're like, like the part where the guy blocks your way to the bathroom and you're like, oh, normally fuck. I would just be like, what the fuck? Are you? I know. Just and I noticed I life. said that twice. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I hope the reader doesn't think like, yeah, she acts like that, except all these situations in the book. So yeah, well, what are we really reading about? Well, you know, <laughs> in your life, that, that shit happens all the time where you have to get sassy. Well, I think there's, a, there, I think there's a lot of things. And, and of course, I'm talking about situations where um, my situations are unique to me. Mm-hmm. My situations were were situations. All my quote me too moments were situations where I had a choice. So I'm not at all uh, assuming to speak to all these situations where these women did not have a choice, where their livelihood or their lives mm-hmm. were being threatened. I fortunately have not had those kinds of situations. Um, so refreshing to hear, which that. is like luck of the draw. But uh, but honestly, like the men. I can safely say, with the exception of that guy, mm-hmm. which he never did it again. But uh, I've worked with like hundreds of really stellar um, men in the entertainment industry. That's been my experience, and I've worked, yeah, for since I was sixteen. So yeah, yeah. I was really interested in the part of your book where you were talking about before the internet, if some dude bro troll wanted to tell you that he thought your ears were big he would he wrote out a long letter explaining to you why he didn't like your ears and then he had to go about calling around calling information to find the address of the studio where he could mail you this critique of your ears and then (laughs) he had to write it out put it in an envelope put a stamp on it go to the mail and mail it to you. And this is like a specific thing that really happened where a guy did this twice. Like yeah. just because he wasn't sure if you got the message yeah. the first time. That was so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then you recount later about post-internet trolling where people are piling on 
in, I don't know, it was a chat room or, you know, some kind of comments section talking about your appearance there in, in very gross ways. And I was just wondering, like, not having ever been a famous person, does it hurt more when you know that someone had to put the effort to write it out and put a stamp on it? Or is it more cutting when there's a pile on on the internet that literally takes no effort at all that you know that, like, someone just sort of puked it out and then went along on with their day? It hurts more uh, when you see something online, in my opinion, and uh, for a few for a few reasons. First of all, I do think I don't think it was. I mean, I do say in the book that part of this was specific to that era. You know, that when you would write a letter, you didn't pop off at people. Yeah, I mean, I sound like I'm talking about the the 50s or the 40s, but it it really was. I mean, I don't know if people remember like. Just before social media, like, we were a little more civil with each other. And then yeah. we got into, like, oh, I can be anybody. I, I can just say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, you know? anonymity and then, changed a lot of things. Yes, exactly. And it's and it's a sh- it's funny when you, like, give everybody a say. You know, that's, like, what people have been wanting all these years. And when you finally give them the say, all they've got is, like, well, not all they've got, but a lot of people, like, oh, oh, I've been waiting to talk all this time. You know what I've, what I have to say? You look like a fucking horse. <laughs> I don't. It's like that's what we've been waiting for yeah. all this time. Okay. Like that's what you've been holding back. Jesus. I mean, can we take the mic back? I mean, why, why, why did we let you talk at all? If your experience highlights anything, it's that people were garbage before the internet, and people are garbage now. Yeah. And it's just like the same garbage people expressing themselves in different ways. But people yeah. are always trash, and that's disappointing. So, yeah, so back then you didn't <laughs> pop off at people like that. But, and there, you also have the element of composing a letter. I mean, when you're composing a letter, I mean, I guess you could just say, like, fuck you, I think you're uh, an idiot, and then mail that. But I think people get in a certain mindset when they have to write something on paper, a piece yeah. of paper. Like, their writing skills are on display now. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because it was drilled into them in school. But I do mm-hmm. think that's the tendency, whereas posting stuff online it's so easy and it's so removed from, you know, and I guess part of them not only believes that you're not a person, but also, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe assumes you're not even getting it. Whereas when you're sending a letter, you're sending a letter directly to someone. You know that only they are going to open that. So it hurts because they're saying really vile things. Yeah. I mean, I think they really work at trying to imagine what the worst thing is that, that they could say. Mm-hmm. And then that they're saying it so publicly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if I was just imagining, like, if someone sent me a letter talking to me about my ears, like, at least only I would have read that's it. That's right. right. But, like, everybody can read what people say about everybody else on the Internet. And so that's so much more public. And then, it like, it there's, there you know, there's a chance that it could, like, sort of catch fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That other people then could say, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. I don't know much about your personal life or your family's personal life but outwardly it seems that my plan has worked (laughs) (laughs) that both you and Jason seem to have miraculously avoided becoming Hollywood roadkill when so many child actors were just totally decimated by the experience like I'm sure that you've seen your peers go down in flames firsthand. Is there anything like now looking back that you can point to that you think saved you from that kind of fate? Is there something that you can point to that other other pitfalls that people are in danger of then and now? Yeah, I definitely explore that in the book. And I can't speak for Jason, but, um, but I will say for me, uh, it took a lot of work because 
Um, you know, we look at how we create our reality, you know, uh, what city we live in, what language we speak, who our parents are, who our siblings are, our friends are, all these things, right? All these things compose our reality. And for a very small group of people, fame is one of those elements in the reality. And it permeates everything, right? It informs, like, your sense of self, your relationship to other people, mm-hmm. your um, your ability to be um, hired, you know, so your financial security, all these things, right? Now, in anybody's life, if any one of those elements were to fall out that I talked about before, you know, your family, where you live, your house burns down, I mean, anything that was part of your reality, this is a hugely traumatic. So for this very small group of people, it's the same thing when the fame starts falling away. Mm-hmm. So if I go through some sort of trauma where somebody passes away or anything, I've got to work through it, right? Maybe therapy, different things. And it, when the fame starts falling away, it's the same thing. Now, you're not going to get any sympathy mm-hmm. from many other people because they're going to be like, oh, poor you. You can't, get a hotel, you, know, you can't get a restaurant reservation anymore. But what I propose in the book is a different perspective on it, which is, no, part of your reality, like you're Wile E. Coyote and you've just gone off the edge of the cliff and you look down and there's nothing there like that. Like part of your reality is getting pulled away. Mm-hmm. So anything you had attached to it, like your self-esteem, your ego, anything like that, you got to start unhooking stuff from this as it descends and sort of filling in where it's, you know, the the spots it's it's pulling out. You've got to fill in with other things. And so what I did was just a lot of writing and talking to people. And anytime there was a button that was pushed in me, I would drill down and find what the root fear was. And most of the time it's some irrational fear, but I can't dismiss that because my system thinks that fear is real. A lot of the times my irrational fear was that and this is this like really got me for so long. I couldn't get rid of this one. Most most of the time I can get rid of it through the writing, right? But this one stuck with me for a long, long time. It really had me. And that was you will never, ever do anything again of any import. No one will notice anything you ever do again. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting when you were talking about you're only known for your greatest fame. And then everything else is just like, well. Yeah, and you feel that's... incredibly dismissed. And, I mean, people can... You know, a lot of people experience that sort of thing. They don't have to be famous, you know. If you were, uh, I know I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You for know, sure. if you were really I've good at something famous. at some yeah. point, and then somebody goes, "Hey, what have you been up to?" And maybe you say, "Oh, I'm doing this podcast and this and that." And they go, "Oh, that's great." But what about? Because maybe you used to be a, a champion gymnast or something, and right. they go, "Whatever happened? Yeah. I always thought you were going to go to the Olympics." And then what I go home and barf. There? Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Am I just like not a person now? You know, yeah, it's that I don't kind think of feeling. It's, uh, it's uh, unique at all to famous people, but I could right. see how if someone was a child star and they were in that free fall that you describe, and they don't have a coping mechanism like what you describe, yeah. how like yeah. o- like only a like falling face first into substances would ease that pain. I'd say like most people on the earth, I've had fame fantasies and wondered what it would be like to be famous. Um, But I also am pretty shy and definitely treasure my anonymity, like really love it. I I wonder, since you've seen sort of both sides of life, if you could like snap your fingers and be as famous as you were at at the height of your fame, would you prefer that or is it better to be able to move more freely around the world? I would absolutely not want it. Okay. And and I don't and I don't mean that to sound like, you know, it's kind of a cliche we hear sometimes. We're like, oh man, I I just I don't want the fame. I just want the work and all this. But here's how I'll couch it. 
I think when people who haven't been famous want to be famous, it's like saying, oh, I would love to have a boyfriend. Mm. Because they're looking at somebody else as a boyfriend, mm -hmm. and they're going, oh, my God, it's so great. And you, you see what you see, and you ignore what you don't want to see, and then you also fill in. Mm. Yeah. And so the same thing happens with fame. You look at, you go, oh my God, look at, look how beautiful they look. Look at that amazing dress and all this sort of thing. And it must be so fun to get, you have an excuse. I mean, how many people have an excuse to like get dressed up in a black tie? I don't know. You know, a black tie a fi uh, attire. Yeah. You speaking know? of which, you put that picture of you in the gold dress that you got put on the worst dress list for. That I thought that was banging. <laughs> yeah, dress. it was great. It was well, and an I awesome loved dress. that you were the people that you were on the list with. You were like, I don't mind being in the company of these people. Yeah, I it was know. like Cher, and I forget who else. And I was like, yes, all of these are wonderfully. Yeah, dressed. Diane yeah. Keaton. I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm, all, I'm cool Keaton with that. I'm cool yeah. with that. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to mention the gold dress. It was of really course. good. Of course, it was. It was. Yeah, and I didn't give it. I was like, oh, this kind of looks like an Emmy. This will be fun, you know. Yeah. And it was. It was. It was before, like, Mr. Blackwell's worst dress list was the only place you I mean I guess Joan Rivers was around doing that sort of thing then but but not officially because it, it was pre you're right so it was almost the only place you could get criticized the whole rest of the year when he's not doing his worst dress list you were free to dress however you wanted so we got some really interesting outfits right yeah we saw some really I mean Cher look at oh my god the things she used to <laughs> oh wear god, right yeah. Yeah. fantastic and now Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent a little That's bit. Right. I think that if the Emmys want to get better ratings, I don't know if there's a correlation, but I think you would see if you graphed the Emmy ratings or the Oscar ratings and you also graphed the degree to which, and this is no offense to stylists, and I'll, I'll be clear, more clear about this after, but then you graph the degree to which stylists have gotten involved in what people are wearing. I think you would see a correlation with one going up and the other going down. I agree. Because everybody it's too packaged. and mm -hmm. everybody want yeah, just wants to be the like, smooth off any any not any but most individuality because I believe this is the reason. You don't want to get slammed every fucking day online for what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real shame that that's happened. Now, so I there's no why creative I went off risk. On this tangent, but, but you know, you were talking <laughs> about the whether or not you would take that kind of fame again. And that oh, and people, so it's fun to go to black tie events. Fun to go. Thank you. So it's fun to go to black tie events. And you go, oh, and you get all these work opportunities and all this sort of thing. And that's why in the book I say, yeah, you get some of that stuff. Yeah. But it's. It's like a Swiss cheese version of that, whereas the you know, anyway, who's not been famous is sort of filling in those holes with all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here going, I'm not saying like, oh, it sucks to be successful. I don't mean like that. I just mean it's a real frenzy and it's something that has to get that you have to manage yourself within rather than you can't just sit outside of it and enjoy it. You can't cherry pick what it is you want to enjoy mm -hmm. out of it. Mm -hmm. You have to take the whole you know, fire hose worth of water. You can't just right. get take a cup of it out of the <laughs> flow of the fire hose and drink, sip that. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting was the, the when they photoshopped your, well, they didn't have Photoshop, but they erased your smile to make it look like you were frowning. Eraser face. Yeah. Well, that what happens. You guys have noticed, right, that you see a, you see a story. Okay. How about Kavanaugh? Mm -hmm. Okay, 
when Brett Kavanaugh was being, you know, questioned and all this, they kept printing these pictures of him going, you know, like he's <laughs> crying or whatever, right? Yeah, they zoomed all the way up his right? nose. Yeah. And we saw those pictures, I mean, at least on my Twitter feed, which yeah. is where I get my news, you know, uh, over and over and over again, they were cycling those pictures of him, like, you know, kind of the torn mouth crying, yeah, like right? And then as soon as he got confirmed, they start showing pictures of him smiling and you're going, well, what story are you trying to tell here? Are you trying to are you trying to move the viewer, or move the reader on? Mm-hmm. Like it's okay now, everything's all right. Like there's a, and again, I'm not faulting the media for this, but it's interesting to watch mm-hmm. an agenda happening and visually, be, and yeah. because so yeah. many pictures are taken now, right? D- digital versus that you, you know, can the tell any story with film. any picture, any any you anything, yeah, anything, anything, just like. And like if somebody wanted to print something that says, oh, she's miserable, all you'd have to really do, even if you didn't have a picture of me being miserable, you just find a screenshot of me doing some video interview and I'll have some look on my face where I'm In the where I'm pondering. Yeah. And just use that. Just say, <laughs> yeah. oh, she's miserable. And then so many people think, well, if you got a picture of it, it must be real. Just this week that we're recording this, Taylor Swift made headlines for breaking her silence about her political beliefs and encouraging her millions of young fans to register to vote. What responsibility do you think young famous women have today to be activists? And are you tempted to leverage your fame for political reasons also? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know that there's a responsibility for it. I don't think anybody who's I mean, anybody who's well-known for uh, some talent they have, I mean, I would think you're responsible to your own gifts. You're res- I mean, I do think you're responsible to be a hard worker and to um, do the best job you can. Mm-hmm. This is my personal opinion. But as far as the rest of it, I don't think anybody has, I don't think any singer or athlete or anybody has any responsibility to do it. But if they want to... As a citizen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm completely all for it. I mean, no matter what they want to say, and if people say, you know, shut up, you dumb fucking actress, you know, stop, stop talking politics, which mm-hmm. is what you see often online, people yeah. saying, um, I would just say, well, now wait a minute, there's there's not just one participant here, right? And that's the thing about fame, right? And that's a lot of what I write about in the book. We're all participating in this. I mean, Taylor Swift isn't making sure that everybody's, you know, she's not she's not going door to door making sure everybody's listening to her. She's not sending out flyers. She's not making this huge effort to make sure to demand that everybody listen to her. But she has 100 million followers on Instagram, I think, who want to hear what she mm-hmm. has to say. So anybody who doesn't want to hear what she has to say, exactly, just don't follow her. Don't listen to it. And if you're going to be resentful or angry that 100 million people are listening to her, well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, right. that's their free will. They can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So it's Are you good politically to be, motivated at all? Well, I'm, as a citizen, I mean, I, you know, on my Twitter account, I, I definitely, you know, call out what I think as a citizen, as a 52-year-old American citizen, thinks is bullshit and, and not bullshit. I mean, I definitely do that. I... You know, I'm educated. I I try to be informed about what I'm talking about, but not because I feel like I have some responsibility because I have a name, but just because that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. Anyway, that's just that's just for me. But what mm-hmm. do you guys think? I'm 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 pretty much with you on that. I mean, I feel personally as just a woman that speaking out right now is really important to me. 
But I don't think anybody else has an obligation to do anything. Like, if you are passionate about something, then you should speak about it. And no one should tell you to shut up and not play, you know, like, you're a football player. You should just play football or whatever. I think that's bullshit, even if you don't agree with someone. Yeah. But I don't think anybody, especially if you don't feel, like, passionate about it, you should not be forced to make an opinion about something. Yeah, I agree. I I have a a real... um I don't know if it's an axe to grind exactly, but I feel like women's rights are literally under attack like mm. so much. And I don't, maybe I should hold all people, men and women to the same standard. And it's like its own kind of sexism that I don't, but I feel like <laughs> women are like, we're having our rights rolled back, like right from mm. under us. And that if you are a woman in this country with a significant platform and you're not using it to like help us get those rights back, like, who fucking needs you, man? <laughs> like I, I, but maybe that's just born from my own primal terror. But then you also have to be willing to let the Ann Coulters and all of them use their voice as much as they want. So it goes, you know, not everybody agrees with. You know, I believe everything. in the First Amendment, and everybody can. I don't expect everybody to agree with me, but if you are a woman with a significant platform and you do agree with me <laughs> exactly, and, you're that's not, the thing. and you're not like out there shaking the trees, then I want to know why. Right. But there's, but does I it feel uh, like, uh, like there's an opportunity right now. There's a, like the, like the door's been open. There's sort of a, a vacuum right now. And if they do, and it's like, you just really want them to take advantage of this moment. I think so because there's, you know, with, with Taylor Swift in particular, she's a country music artist. Mm. Like, if I have no doubt that for the entirety of her career, people are like, if you talk about politics, you will lose millions of dollars. Mm. You yeah. know, like either people will agree with you or you don't. Yeah, and remember in this the Dixie, climate, no, yeah, the yeah. Dixie, Dixie chicks got I mean, boycotted. Was, oh wow, they that almost got huge. driven out of the industry. Well, they still have not been able to spring back from that fully at all. Isn't that remarkable? That was yeah. that was like in a different era from what we're in now. If, if they'd done it now, they would have they would have been huge. Been yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so in I a different way. I think that there were very real people protecting her and her career saying don't talk about it. Um and it's it's definitely a brave thing that she's like, "All right, whatever, fuck it. It's things are too crazy now. Like I have to speak up." Okay, considering she has a hundred, I, th- I believe it's a hundred million yes. Instagram followers. Considering she has, and that's, and I don't, I'm not saying all these followers are American, but that's equal to a third, almost a third of the population of the United States. Yeah. Jeez. So don't you think, or do you think rather, that she could have, like the Dixie Chicks, the Dixie Chicks didn't have an Instagram account. Yeah. Right. So do you think it's because? I mean, I don't know why now and not, you know, six months ago, but do you think it think part of the lack of fallout that perhaps will happen for for her is because she has 100 million people's ear. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. already invested in her and they already. I mean, you but know, then she there's can the really matter of people's ear. And then there's the way in which people in the music industry make money now. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they're. She can have this enormous platform, like this mind-boggling platform, but to pay her bills on her, like, fantastic seaside home. Like, she has to... People don't buy music anymore. All of her money is going to come primarily from tour and ticket sales. So are those 100 million people going to come to the concerts? Right, and are there people who thought that she was a Republican? Because a lot of people really did think that she was a Republican. Are 
is that going to dig how substantially is that going to dig into the bottom line of the ticket sales so this ties into like the whole story somebody has about you yeah. you're this you're this and i'm a fan of yours because you're this and you're famous i'm going to project onto you cuz i talk in the book about you know real reality and a projected and a, an imposed reality mm-hmm. so for a lot of people they had imposed a reality on her that mm-hmm. she was a republican and i mean we do this we do this with a lot of people, not just famous people. We do this with people in our lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Say so there's some guy you want to date, and he seemed interested in you, and then and then the calls were became few and far between, and then we start saying, well, you know, I know he's been really busy at work and all this, because we want our imposed reality mm-hmm. to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have a lot invested in it. And, you know, like on the Facebook page, like, what do you, what is it you like? What is it you right. used to be, uh, what are you a fan of, right? Mm. And then you're sort of presenting to all your... Uh, friends or followers whatever this is who I am I listen to this kind of music these are my favorite films and these are the books I like and so I want you to look at all of that and get a picture of who I am and maybe Mm -hmm. it is an accurate picture or maybe it's a put on Mm -hmm. yeah Justine Bateman are you a feminist? I am I don't know do I do I think everybody should have an equal shot at, at everything no matter their gender yeah I mean for sure Sounds That's like feminism it. That's to me. the answer. That's <laughs> I mean, what we're here for. It's, uh, you know, and I totally get that the, that a male, I, I understand why society is male dominated. And I also understand why uh, that type of society would want to keep things in a particular way. And that would be true if it was if it was a male-dominated society or a female-dominated society or a child-dominated society. It, whatever it is, it's not about yeah. men to me per se but it's human nature to want to if it's a if it's a position that you're enjoying it's human Preserve nature to want to keep it that way yeah. mm-hmm. you know like so I understand why why it's human nature to want to to maintain a certain place but I will say this I am not somebody that says um, oh, I didn't get that because I'm female. Like, I refuse in my life, and I've never thought this way, I refuse to believe that I do or don't get situations or opportunities or because of something I can't change. Because if I were to tell myself that, then I would be telling, I would be permanently victim, putting myself in a victim category. It's just me personally. Because I would be telling myself, you will never Mm. Right. You'll never get there because you're female and you can't change that you're female. And so then, therefore, do the math. You're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm just like, I'm a person. And I'm and if I had a choice, like, are you going to this is where you're going to go in your life. Do you want to do this as a male or female? I would totally take female because the things that I'm doing are and the personality I am, I have is like kind of aggressive. And I think it gets it's so much more Interesting if a female's doing that than if a male's doing that. So I would pick female. Anyway, um, so any time in my life, if there's been a, quote, sexist situation where somebody has or hasn't hired me or wanted to give me a certain level of responsibility or whatever for sexist reasons, I don't really care. I don't care if they're being sexist. All I know is that it's a no. Mm. And if it's a no, it means I'm just not supposed to do work with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm being, I'm being sort of it's like self-preserving. Yeah, or I'm being looked out for, and even if that so that person may not even know why they're saying no, mm-hmm. and they keep looking for a reason. They're really saying no because I'm not supposed to work with them. 
because they're shitty at their job or something, right? <laughs> But in their minds, maybe they're grasping for a reason. They're like, okay, I don't want to work with her, but why, why? Ah, you know, it's because she's a fucking woman and I think we should really have him. And then maybe they're rationalizing to themselves that that's the reason. Maybe they tell that to other people. But I know that's not. I know that's not the reason. The reason is because I'm being looked out for and I'm not supposed to work with that person. Mm -hmm. So it's just next. Well, you've been working a lot behind the scenes for a number of years, directing, producing, writing. You're working on your own, like, writing, directing film right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed any change for women in the industry since the whole Time's Up, Me Too explosion? Well, the thing I've seen the most is that um, there are certain... Um, uh, dictates now, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, we're going to hire more female directors or um, let's look at more female focused stories or frankly, whatever that means. <laughs> um, I mean, whatever that means to those people, really. Um, so that's good. You know, it makes more opportunities. But I, I, I do think I mean, look, I'm all I can go by is my own experiences. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not I'm not, you know, I hope the listeners aren't thinking for a second I'm talking about their experiences in the business or their experiences with sexism. Just this mm -hmm. is just how I do my life and what my experiences have been. Mm -hmm. And uh it's it's great that it's that it's become that and I'm happy to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. I know that uh -huh. sound that's kind of uh maybe strange to say or maybe someone would take offense to that, but I feel like my path is my path and I'm going to get there no matter what. And whatever, you know, kind of rocks in the stream I have to go around, I don't care. And if those rocks think that they're being sexist towards me, I don't really give a <laughs> shit. I've already, mm -hmm. my little paper boat has already sailed past them. You can go ahead and think that I'm not going to do a good job because I'm female. I don't really give a shit because mm -hmm. I'm going to go do it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I've seen. And also I've seen that maybe women... Um, who were more timid mm -hmm. about saying something, and I'm not talking about Me Too necessarily. I'm just talking about maybe they were more they like were paid kind of discretion and stuff like that. What's that? Like paid paid discrimination? Paid, yeah, yeah. Saying like, like, "Hey, this is what I want to get." Yeah, it's a good example. Here's what I want to get paid, or, um, or you know what? I am gonna you know be on my agent and make sure that I get that pitch. You know that I can go in and have that pitch section session rather, because. I, and again, this might be in a popular view too, but my opinion about how I look at sexism is I think we have a bigger problem than sexism with women in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a desire to be liked. Mm -hmm. A yeah. desire to be seen as nice. Mm -hmm. I think that has fucked women up way more than sexism. Oof. I know that might be unpopular. But on these I streets. Think, <laughs> I mean, because listen, and, 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 and please don't misunderstand. I'm not at all talking I about what situations where women don't have a choice and something is being, right. you know, something's happening to them that they don't have control of and, and they don't have a choice in the situation. I'm talking about the other end of the spectrum where you do have a choice, where you're a woman who's sitting in a meeting and you don't raise your hand in the meeting. And then you come out of there and you go, you know, fuck this. It's just like all, it's just a boys club and blah, 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 blah. And I, go, and I would say to them, well, la, 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 let's rewind. Let's go back to the moment that you had an idea. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Well, it's a boys club. No, 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 no. What happened there? You didn't raise your hand? Well, no. Why? Because it's all boys club. No. 
What did you think would happen if you raised mm -hmm. your hand? What's your fear there? Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, well. We have generations and generations of people where half of the people are socialized to succeed at any cost and half of the people are socialized to be nice at any cost. At yeah. any cost. So yeah. you go, I didn't raise my hand, and that's exactly the fear, right? I didn't raise my hand because I don't want them to think I'm a bitch. Right, like how men so are the assertive, fear, but women are bitches. So the fear the of that, activity. and really raising your hand and saying what you think, of, you know, where you think your company, the direction of the advertising at your company should go or something like that, the people are going to think you're a bitch. And that's the vo that voice, those thoughts, right? That mm -hmm. if I do this, that will happen, which is actually what my film Violet is about. Awesome. <laughs> you know, somebody realizes that with Olivia Munn and Justin Theroux, and it's somebody realizing that, that, like the kind of light goes on and they realize, oh my God, that voice has been lying to me my whole life. It's not true. Mm -hmm. But if you start going, you know what? Maybe that's bullshit. Maybe that's not me protecting myself. Maybe it's some errant fear thought that's just bullshit. Mm -hmm. I can't this, wait to see it. When is it coming out? Well, that we haven't started shooting yet. Ah, oh, nice. But that's, uh, that's what that's all about. I wanted to share with you um, a Family Ties-related baby feminist moment of mine, okay. which may or may not resonate with you, but I would just wanted to run it by you anyway. So I remember being a baby feminist. I can't remember what year it was. And I, like I mentioned before, watched, had watched every episode of Family Ties. And yes, the character of Alex P. Keaton was a jerk, but he was like a lovable jerk. Like people <laughs> liked him. He was the, the pro protagonist of the show. And then there was this episode with Tracy Nelson as the guest star where he had a Tracy girlfriend. Tracy Pollan? Oh, no. Tracy Nelson. It was She was just on that one episode. Oh, yes. Um, Ricky her, Nelson's Ricky uh, Nelson's daughter. Da daughter right, the twin, right, right. the tw Nelson twins were her brothers. Oh, yes. The Nelson And twins. she was playing a feminist who Alex P. Keaton was dating. Oh, and God, she right. brought him to a feminist rally. And they got arrested, and in this weird sitcom universe, they were locked up together. They got arrested at the at the thing and were locked up together. And while they were locked up together waiting to get bailed out after this, it was an equal rights amendment rally. Mm -hmm. And they got locked up together, and he, because they were just locked up there, just the two of them, he broke down and explained to her, well, I just said that I was a feminist because I wanted to go out with you. And I actually don't agree with the Equal Rights Amendment. And I don't believe that women are equal to men. <laughs> and I like, wasn't in that scene. I so went. I, her, I don't remember. I went through it. <laughs> because like I had, I was so invested in this, this show and these characters yeah. and I trusted that this guy was a jerk Brutal. but that he was like a lovable jerk and then he was in and I knew that after that episode this feminist girlfriend was going to be gone which is what happened she was discarded she was literally just that one episode and that was it but he still gets to be the lovable jerk in the show and from that point forward Oof. like I just watched this person who was so famous who was getting so many laughs and so much empathy from the audience and I was like he doesn't think that I deserve equal rights in this society oh my God. like he thinks well, you that, are ahead of your time he thinks thinking. I'm a second class citizen and <laughs> I was back then it was pretty common that kind of thinking I was yeah. shook wow I, was shook I didn't by it. wow that's I'm sorry for that that's <laughs> we need to be able to hear things like that and go oh I mean, I'm not talking about you there. I'm just talking about like anything that we hear now that's wrong and just go, oh, that's wrong. You're saying it with a lot of conviction, but you're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I don't even know if it was wrong that they brought that up, you know, as a as a show, like for, as an idea for an episode. It was well, not cool. that it was wrong of them to bring it up, but it but was just that but their protagonist hear, was to hear a uh, you know, to he, I know he's as a, a character, kid hearing hear another somebody, kid say it, you know. But you were, yeah, you were ahead of things as a feminist to because I think me at the time I wasn't in that scene, so I don't really remember it that well. But um, if I had heard that then, I would have just been like, uh huh, and. I don't know, but for you to get riled up over it, say so you you were a good baby feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. Like I felt like there should have been consequences. Yeah. I agree and with you, weren't. and I'm sure Gary Goldberg, the creator of our show, who is up in heaven right now, would definitely agree with you. Huh. I'm glad I I'm glad I aired <laughs> that grievance. Um, Callie and I were both tantalized and riveted by the part of your book in which you talked about the girl band movie you're in satisfaction and that someone was being deeply uncool to you during that time mm-hmm. and mean girl Callie and I need to know if Julia Roberts was mean to you uh I'm not going to identify who the person was I suspected uh-huh. as much I no no I mean no and I'm I'm well, not saying not I'm not saying who it is at all <laughs> and I'm and I, and that doesn't mean that it was her Right. I'm right. just saying I'm not going because that's because the important thing in that story was was what it did what how I reacted and what it did yeah. to me you mm-hmm. know what I mean and that's I'm really conscious of that in the book of focusing on you know my stuff yeah so I mean there's a number of people I don't identify in there it's that, crass of us to ask we just but I oh, we no, just no, no, were I burning totally to get know. It. but no but the point <laughs> I made with that whole sequence was like how inescapable that kind of thinking was. Yeah. Yeah, you and just wanted to hang out and be part of the crew. I know. Yeah. And it was and no, and a I'm, girl and band. I like, seriously do not want to imply that it was Julia, but I'm just saying I'm not going to say, right. you know, no one's going to know who that was. If you can't all hang out and be chill in a girl band movie, then when can you? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we just wanted to ask you because Inquiring Minds want to know, and because that movie, as I said up front, was so important to me. But I respect your... Your decision <laughs> not to tell us. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Justine. I'm going to ask Callie. And hopefully you guys are going to ask me. What, what you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. Ooh. Wow, yeah. In our <laughs> tradition, we always ask our guests first what you're watching. And when I ask what you're watching, I mean books, TV, movies, music, music videos, every single form of media that you can imagine. We want to know what is it that you're consuming because it's probably cool. Okay, well, first I'm going to shamelessly plug my two film shorts that are on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, they are? One is a comedy called Five Minutes, and the other is a drama called Push, so I'm definitely watching those. And did you, 
write them, direct them. Right, and, and I was one of the producers on. Awesome. Yeah. Wrote, directed, produced all all three for both of them. Two, yeah, two, yeah. On the Pushed two out shorts. two babies. Pushed out two Mazel little babies. Mazel tov. I love it. So that, and let me see, what else? Uh, Better Call Saul. For mm. sure, love it. Baskets, love it. Oh That's my so good. God, oh Louis Anderson in Baskets. He is Louis Anderson is a revelation. I mean, his performance as an older woman, the nuances that he's brought he to it. He gets it. He does older women better than older women. <laughs> I mean, because the, the nuances he brings up, because he's not, he's not being protective of his behavior or anything you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah really good um, let's see films okay you had said you that, that you horror. like horror films right so I generally don't watch them because I don't want to retain the imagery because <laughs> it sticks with me <laughs> but I was on the plane and I was like yeah I'm going scrolling through 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 and I go oh hereditary I heard that Tony Collette's really good Oh, fuck. So I turned it on, and, and it's an outstanding film. It really is. The directing is remarkable. The family dynamics are incredible. But holy shit, I have this imagery now I can't get out see, of my I head. I didn't really like it. Oh, well, see, you're more of a connoisseur. Yeah, except the one part where she was upside down on the ceiling, and she reminded me of Celine Dion when Celine Dion <laughs> wore the backwards suit. Oh, my God. How <laughs> dare <Okay>. you? <laughs> that part I loved. <laughs> <laughs> so you're more of a connoisseur, so you have Kelly fi- is really into blood spray. Taste. I love a good blood spray. Mm. Did you get into Dexter when that was on that TV? Yes, series? Dexter was so good. It's all about that. <laughs> Anything else? Um, let me see. Music wise, um, I can't get enough of Kendrick Lamar. Awesome. Um, either either just his music or his um, his videos too. I find mesmerizing. I find um, Beyonce's. I still love, love, love the sort of video album that is uh, Lemonade. I think, I mean, just, it, I think it's, it gives me chills. I think it's just such a, and I'm not, I, I don't regularly listen to her music or anything, but I just think just as a as a creative piece, yeah. that whole video album is just remarkable. Just everybody involved, the directors, the art direction, the choreography, wardrobe, everything is just wonderful She's in that. She's a gift. Really, really creative. Awesome. What about for you guys? What do you guys? Callie, what you watching? Well, 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 well. First off, I got the Golden Probe Awards coming up. Oh, are you is going? That I'm going. It is um, sexism's most glamorous night, <laughs> and it's uh, uh, presented by Lady Parts Justice and hosted by Margaret Cho, and it's on Saturday, October twentieth. And but does it just point out the most sexist things that you can find? It. Calls out the most sexist dudes. Oh, that sounds really funny. <laughs> yeah, and so then if you can't, if you're not going to the actual awards, there's a live stream on October 28th. Okay. So I cannot wait to go to that. And Stormy Daniels is going to be there, right? Yeah, and I'm going to wear a gown. Noise. And, and are those characters that have been really sexist, or just flat out people, like people, like politicians? Oh my god, have I never heard of this? That's it would be I think hilarious. This is just their second. Or, I think it's the second year or something. It's, the it's pretty year. new. Okay. But I, Liz I, I Winstead is is behind it. You know, Liz Winstead who created Liz the Daily Wayne. Show. Oh, of course, guys. Yeah. yeah. So you know it's gonna be just. Genius. Oh man, I gotta see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know all this Kavanaugh shit got me real mm. fucking stressed out. And for some reason, I have found a lot of comfort in watching 
Dr. Pimple Popper video. Oh my God. That's it's just so, no kidding. That's it's good. It's like you feel all this, you're like so concerned, and then you see the release, and you're like, oh. And we are not alone. She has a lot of views. I know. It's oh. disgusting, it's riveting, and it's somehow cathartic. My guilty pleasure is um, looking at, as much as I'm really against plastic surgery, like it'll never happen for me, and there's loads of reasons. Um, so sorry, haters who don't like my fucking face. It's just going to get worse. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. Ha ha. I love it. Um, but um, I love to look at before and after pictures. Me of, too. Of I'm plastic surgery. And I like to see before and after video of like, you know, enormous like 45 pound tumors being removed, like weird stuff like that. Yeah. It's somehow it's somehow therapeutic. I don't know how I even got on to that best thing that's happening to me also therapeutic is SVU is back Chung Chung Law and Order SVU did a really good episode where they um, approached the whole immigration family separation yeah mm-hmm. that one was really good I'm proud of them for approaching it though they made it seem like it is highly easy for people to get a woman um, asylum I think it would take a lot longer than than in this thirty minute episode. <laughs> yeah, no, they they did kind of rush through that part, but, but I still appreciate it nonetheless. It was an emotion attack. They showed and a lot of Mexican children in cages. Card. Yeah, all right. So that's pretty much what I've been watching. Right on. Before I can tell you what I'm watching, I have to explain that I watched a lot of stuff. I'm not going to tell you everything because I was bedridden. If you listen to the previous episode of this podcast, you heard me interview Tanya Hurley and Tracy Hurley Martin at the end during What You Watchin' when after I talked about Demon House, they were like, speaking of Demon House, we have a chandelier from the Amityville Horror House. It's making us sick. Does anybody want it? And I was like, yes, I want it. They... I talked to them on a Wednesday. On Friday, it was at my house. On Saturday, I started coughing. By Tuesday morning, I was in urgent care getting, like, breathing tubes and chest x-rays. They put me on a full course of antibiotics, a full course of steroids, two prescription cough suppressants, and an inhaler to try to get my breath back in my body. It's stealing your breath. The Amityville Horror chandelier is real. It is trying to take my life. It is still in my home. Oh, no. And they they called me, like, a public health concern. Like, they were like, you cannot go to work until Friday. So, like, I missed almost an entire week of work. And you never miss work. I know. I love work so much. Um, so it was serious. Kick it out. If you guys were wondering what happened with that chandelier, that's what happened. And yes, it is still in my apartment because my luscious research assistant loves that chandelier. I need you to get a demon hunter yeah. and a black mold specialist. But I watched a ton of stuff sort of in a cough syrup haze as Ooh. a result. Um, one of the things I binge watched was I watched all of Maniac on Netflix. I'm in and out. I'll just tell is, you this. You're in I and out. I really want every episode to just be the episode with the lemur rescue. <laughs> the lemur rescue really episode good. was choice, but I loved all 10 episodes. It it stars Jonah Hill and Emma Stone as subjects of a psychiatric drug trial, and it has a lot of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm-hmm. kind of vibes, but refreshingly Emma Stone is not a manic pixie dream girl in it. She's just a girl with problems and they're trying they're going in and out of like these psychiatric drug-induced fugue states basically and I was into it I liked the whole like magical realism like mixing in with it's shot really well but I want more lemur 
There was a, a great lemur, <laughs> lemur-centric episode. I recommend Maniac on Netflix. I also was watching this final season of Parts Unknown on CNN, which is Anthony Bourdain's travel cry? show. I didn't cry exactly, but th- it's this very weird, morbid um, fascination that I have as somebody who's struggled with anxiety and depression all of my life. When people commit suicide if they're public figures I seek out the final things that they made before the event and try to like look into their eyes and look for it like I don't know if it like and I'm not by any means saying like oh I'm glad that he's dead and I'm like a ghoul like this is like some (laughs) kind of self-preservation information or something yeah I'm looking for some information because it's a struggle that I have had personally, and I just am looking for answers yeah. in the final performances of people who have ended their lives. And so it is a weird thing that I'm doing that I'm watching it, but I am, I have watched the show and enjoyed it in the past, but I'm particularly riveted to this final season. Hmm. And it's, I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy. I'm just putting it out there that I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe some watch a pimple popper after that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the palate cleanser. Is that what you <laughs> the last thing that I want to mention real quick is I love it so much when people who listen to the podcast like reach out and tell me what they've been watching. And my friend Min texted me. Um, she listens to the show sometimes, and she told me that um, season three, episode ten of Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast was so epic I had to listen to it and so I dropped everything to listen it's called Analysis Parapraxis Elvis it was so fascinating it was about the psychological underpinnings of why Elvis never performed the soliloquy in the middle of his hit Are You Lonesome Tonight without fucking it up like there, it's akin to Freudian slips but it it's more performative and there are certain um when people are performers and they're hitting at something very specifically painful to them, they can't memorize it. Huh. And so the, this is a song that um, he recorded because later in his career because Colonel Tom Parker's wife really liked it. And it's a very schmaltzy song. has a whole soliloquy in the middle of it about where he's like, I wonder if you're uh-huh. lonesome tonight. And then he just like talks <laughs> about how like, the chair is like do you wish that I was still here and do you ever think about it and stuff and when he recorded it he had was in the process of breaking up with Priscilla oh. she was leaving him for her karate instructor and like how did I not know that fact and it was like he just wait was, was he really into karate before that happened or yes did because that would be something else if he was like she left me for a karate instructor he I was have no wicked choice into now karate. but to get into karate if you've been to Graceland you can see all yeah his I've cool been judo outfits you know I've been stuff. <laughs> yeah but like there were some psychologists who had like literally a running list of like hundreds and hundreds of examples of what he said during live performance, during that soliloquy, oh. instead of what the lines are. Whoa. Like, and not once ever in his entire career did he do it the way that it was written, except for when he recorded it. And he recorded it alone in the dark. Wow. Yeah. Riveting. You have to hear it. It's the best. And like, I'm very obsessed with Elvis, but like, even if you're not, it's fascinating. And that, my friends, is what I've been watching. <laughs> Thank you so much to our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of all. 
and of course our pals Lally and Alec at 300 Entertainment this is Alec's last time with us we'll miss you Alec and of course our girl gang at Bust Magazine you can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems you can email us both I'm at Emily Rems at Bust.com Callie W at Bust.com and you can learn more about the show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts and finally please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We don't want it to be like some apocryphal, mysterious shit like why Elvis didn't know the words to Are You Lonesome Tonight. We want to be mainstream, baby. And you can make <laughs> us happen if you rate and review us. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah. Mwah.